Poso maoni work, wai wanen kitanen ni mo e yoski pietaya posnotaman e yum MITW podcast. A yospis pietaya posnapi notaman and he sikimaka e yoso matnamene hokihi. Welcome to the Nominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. I'm your host, Sheena Wapus. On this episode, I'm joined by Vaughn Bowles, Public Information Officer for the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin. Welcome, Vaughn. Thanks, Sheena. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I would like to remind everyone that we request you send in your COVID-19 related questions to us at podcast at MITW.org. Uh, so Vaughn, I think this week uh, you announced some new vaccination incentives. Can you talk about that a little bit? So starting tomorrow, June 11th, the Menominee Tribal Clinic is going to be rolling out a new incentive program for the vaccinations. Uh, they will be uh, any for anyone that gets a second Pfizer or Moderna vaccine or a single Johnson and Johnson shot. Um, and what it is, it's they're going to be entered into a raffle to get a $100 Bay Beach gift card. Um, you got to be older than 12 to, one, receive your shot, and two, receive the gift card. Um, they'll be doing drawings on July 2nd, and there'll be 30 winners. So not wow. too bad of a little incentive. So as things continue to improve and get better and better, we ask the question, when is this over? What metrics are we looking at to say, hey, it's finally over? That's a really great question. And <laughs> it kind of ultimately comes down to the decision of the tribal legislature. Um, you know, keep in mind, I incident command can, uh, they make recommendations and they're based off of things like the total number of new COVID cases, uh, the seven and 14 day moving averages of new cases, number of hospitalized individuals, total number of IC beds, sorry, um, intensive care, not, not in second, IC beds there, uh, available and, you know, the number of, uh, in the surrounding, uh, counties, particularly, you know, Shawano County and whatnot. Um, but if you're, if you're looking for like real world evidence, there are, you know, states like Oklahoma and Wyoming and Texas and Mississippi and, you know, a handful of others that have kind of finished their COVID um, restrictions and, you know, their their cases aren't spiking um, and they seem to be doing well. They're also recovering up economically, um, you know, all, uh, yeah, so all, all, of, all of really kind of moved past the the emergency pandemic stage. Um, and if you look at, you know, where we are um, statewide as well as locally, um, you know, the COVID cases are back down to where they were, you know, March of 2020. So it's it's really up to the legislature at this point. Okay, so um, we've been seeing a lot of news about the Delta variant, which I think we talked about last week um, coming out of India. Yeah. Um, so at the current vaccination rates that we have in the U.S., is that still a threat to us? I mean, technically, yes, uh, the Delta variant is still a threat um, because they're not sure how it'll react with the current vaccinations. Um, however, you know, there's 
there have been you know enough cases out there that it may not be like an overwhelming surge like we saw with the original wild type of COVID. Um, and that may be a, for a few reasons. Um, the first one would be physical space. Um, it's not apples to apples, but like the number of individuals per square mile in India, um, you know, versus here in the U.S. is is ex far far lower. I mean, India has um, a population that is you know even in the rural areas still as high as our most crowded areas of the eastern seaboard. Um, in addition to that, you know, another reason is the number of natural cases and vaccinations that have been rolled out here in the U.S. You know, we've had estimates say um, as many as, you know, 30 percent or as much as 30 percent of the population in the U.S. may have had COVID um, and have antibodies to it already. In addition to that, you know, um, nationally, we're at about 63 percent of all adults that have at least one vaccination and 43% are fully vaccinated. So, you know, the Delta variant, it is here in the U.S., um, but it doesn't seem to be taking hold. CDC has been tracking the level of variance, and it hasn't even been 1% of the cases that are occurring. So um, hopefully we've, we're closer to a herd immunity state where it's not going to be as big of a deal. But yes, it, it has a potential to, to be a problem. So Vaughn, what are some of the biggest factors in breakthrough infections? Um, so people that get COVID even after they're fully vaccinated, is it a matter of the type of variant that they're being exposed to, underlying conditions, anything like that? Yeah, definitely the, the variant type that they're exposed to plays a role in it. Um, the, the two things that I can think of off the top of my head that would be most um, most critical would be exposure, like the length of time um, that they're in a uh, area of high viral concentration. Um, obviously, being outside would be safer than being inside if you're around someone that has COVID. Um, and also, you know, just staying away from people with symptoms obviously reduces your chance to get it. Um, and then there's the the question of how effective your immune system is, how efficient it is, um, and that comes down to factors like how much sleep are you getting, how much are you resting during the day. What are your nutrition levels like? Do you have sufficient vitamin D in your body? Um, and then the other physical practices, um, hand washing, you know, cleaning and disinfecting your environment and things like that. So, you know, those those are really the things that you got to look at if you want to prevent any sort of breakthrough infection. So um, a lot of talk about the virus's origins this week. Um, do we know anything concrete about it at this point? You know, I know there have been a lot of rumors about the origin of the virus at this point, including, you know, the the one about it being engineered in the Wuhan lab in China. Um, but at this point, it'd be irresponsible for me to speculate on what the, you know, the point of origin really is. Um, and we kind of need to wait and see where the investigations take us and what the, the actual concrete evidence is for the origin of the virus. So... I had, the question to me is, is it even important to know? Like, what does that tell us if we know how it started? Like, does that have any value? Yeah, it, it does actually. Because if if the virus um, was engineered um, versus a wild type of virus, it can behave um, drastically different, wildly different. Um, we have a pretty um, concrete 
uh, litany of medical literature regarding how the immune system reacts to wild viruses. But if the virus was engineered, then kind of all bets are off and the virus could be made um, to evade the immune system or to hijack the immune response. Um, additionally, you know, natural immunity may or may not be conferred um, if it's been engineered from someone who's been infected. So yes, the kind of the, the origin is, is important for that reason. Um, and just, you know, kind of a side note, there's, there's been a study that came out that says that people may have a natural immunity up to about two years um, after they've been infected or vaccinated. So that's, that's some good news out there that, you know, even if it was engineered, there might be a little bit of hope. Um, if it's wild, that kind of confirms what we've been saying in the past. So um, I saw a news article that the Johnson and Johnson Johnson and Johnson CEO um, said that people will likely need a COVID vaccine with annual flu shot for the next several years as variants spread. What do you think about that? Does that sound like it's possible for us? Well, you know, from strictly from a business standpoint, I'm sure Johnson and Johnson would love to be making new new versions of it every year. That makes perfect sense. Um, but you know, most most vaccines currently focus on the the spike protein for COVID. Um, you know, it's the mechanism that it uses to attach to your cells. Um, and if variants change um, multiple portions of it or radically change the structure of of the spike protein, then yes, there's definitely going to be a need to change the the types of vaccines available. Um, however, given given that we know how to effectively use you know mrna um, vaccines for it the the time to uh, the lead time required to make a new vaccine would be a lot shorter um, and if you think about it a lot of people are like oh you're gonna need a booster and stuff because you that's what they do with the flu shot well that's you know a 60 year old technology right now and it's you know only 40 to 60 percent efficient because if you think about how quickly the the coronavirus has has mutated and created variants you know the flu vaccine has or the flu virus has been out there for decades upon decades of, of variations and mutations and stuff so um yeah there are a lot of different types out there and that's why they're they're kind of taking a shotgun approach um to give you a booster every year for the ones that they know are or they the ones they think they are going to be most prevalent and so um that's that's probably why they're saying you may need a COVID booster in the future. And, you know, maybe we will. But at that point, we might also have enough immunity that our immune systems will be able to just fight it off naturally and, and not cause any problems for anyone. Off the cuff question that. Yeah. Are they, I mean, is there a way to use this technology that they've developed for the COVID vaccine for other vaccines like the flu? Yeah, they could use it. Theoretically, they could use it for any virus, the, the flu, the common cold, um, all kinds of stuff that's out there. I mean, it, this is this is the first major rollout of, of this type of technology. It's been around for a while, um, but I think this is demonstrated to the public that it's it's a safe and, and super effective method at at controlling infection. Mm-hmm. So, as we get farther into vaccinations, it's very apparent there's a lot of people that really just don't want to be vaccinated, which you know is their choice. Um, can your employer legally require you to get vaccinated? That is a great legal question. <laughs> um, Put on your lawyer hat, please. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. 
So some some organizations um, are requiring it. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of healthcare facilities, hospitals, and clinics, mm-hmm. um, as well as you know companies in the travel industry like airlines, they've been requiring their uh, their employees to be vaccinated. So I did see an article today where um, a hospital down in Houston, Texas, suspended uh, 178 of their employees without pay for refusing the vaccination um, on the grounds that you know they're not putting their patients first and they're endangering people. Um, on the flip side of that, 117 of those individuals have come back and they're countersuing the hospital. So we're going to see how that plays out. Um, the countersuit uh, is on the grounds that the vaccine is experimental, in air quotes, and that the you know the FDA hasn't fully approved it, and that it's under only emergency authorization use. So they accuse their employer of treating them like guinea pigs. So you can look at it from both sides. There's the personal liberty side. Um, then there's you know the, the the public safety side. Um, right now, the tribe's not requiring you know vaccinations for its employees. We strongly encourage it, um, mm-hmm. but you know we're we're acknowledging that individuals have the rights and the freedoms uh, to refuse it. We respect that. Um, but on the flip side, you know you may need to uh, adjust how you're working with your with your employer and your department head. Um, and so it may require some some changes in your work habits and your environment if you're if you're not getting vaccinated. But that is your choice. So. So um, my last question is around the child tax credit payment, which we've talked about before. Do you have any more specific information about that? Like what can people expect? Because I know that first payment is kind of coming up. Yeah. So went to the IRS's website today. They don't have any new updates on it. Um, okay. But we can, you know, just remind people that for uh, the, ti- the child tax credit is for anyone with children, for any household uh, filing jointly, making less than $150,000 or any single head of household making less than $75,000 um, that has children in it, they qualify for the child tax credit. Um, that will be dollars $3,600. For children under the age of six and three thousand dollars for children between the ages of seven and seventeen, um, that amount is going to be paid out in monthly installments, um, and the first payments are still coming in July, um, and you need to file your 2020 taxes to be eligible for that as well. Um, if people have questions, we can leave the the links to the IRS page in the show notes and stuff so they can go look it up and go through that process as they need. All right. Do you have any final message for the weekend, Vaughn? Just appreciate everyone that's been taking part in our local vaccination process. Um, we're nearly at uh, 50% of you know all eligible adults um, for vaccinations. Uh, I know we're right around the 33% um, area for our kids between you know 12 and 17. Um, so I want to thank them for taking part in this effort as well and helping to keep the community safe. So. Thank you once again, everyone, and I hope you have a great week and stay healthy. Thanks, Vaughn. Why uh, Wannon, for listening to the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also listen to the podcast on menominee-nsn.gov under the Community tab. Keep up to date by following us on Facebook at MITW Podcasts. I do weekly updates with Vaughn and welcome any community questions you have regarding COVID-19, so please send those to us via email at podcast at mitw.org.